On to Cincinnati. Bill Belichick's famous quote applies to the Colts here in week six. Colts and Bengals uh, Sunday, 1 o'clock. Fox, your rare Fox game with a couple AFC teams. Joe Burrow in the building in front of 12,500. Kevin Bowen back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Chris Presley rocking his Vols shirt. Great effort for a half. One half of football. That's all they gave me. But um, Yeah, great half. But then, uh, yeah. <laughs> that uh, that kind of unraveled from there. We've got gobs and gobs of Twitter questions, so I won't mess around here early on. I do want to hit just kind of briefly on. It's uh, it, it's just a bit astonishing to me how many people have talked about the benching of Philip Rivers for Jacoby Brissett in the last seventy-two hours. Yeah. Two things stand out to me, Chris. One, they're both. Very average quarterbacks. They are not built to bring you back into football games. Um, I think we can agree with that. I just I feel like at times we're forgetting what we saw from Brissett last season again with an two thousand yard rushing offense. You know, right now Philip Rivers rushing offense is certainly not giving him that. Uh and then also I just where was this chatter weeks two, three, four? You know, it it just seems like it's very quick. And I know when physically it goes for quarterbacks, which I think it, we have questions, very fair questions right now about him laterally and outside the numbers and things like that. Boy, um, people really press the panic button quick. And, um, yeah, I just I, – I've, I've seen enough of Jacoby Brissett, so I can't go there. I, I would be stunned if the Colts went there. It would take multiple – Games, games. You know, it was really just a half on Sunday. Rivers played pretty well in the first half, but um, yeah, I've I, I've seen the Jacoby movie. I don't need to see it again. Um, are you surprised by how much that we've heard that chatter? I'm not necessarily only for the sense that we were spoiled for so long with great quarterback play. For sure. I mean, for sure. Yeah, yeah. We forget the quarterback limbo that other teams go through year in and year out, and a lot of the the outcry has been, I knew when we got Rivers this was going to happen. But we've all said that the entire time. You know you're going to get good play from Rivers and you're going to get some not-so-good play from yeah. Rivers. You just hope that you're on more of the good play side than the bad play. Yeah, and again, his bad is really bad, yeah. which I think rightfully so frustrates the hell out of people. It's interesting when you look a little bit deeper in the numbers, You know, I've had people say, well, Brissett at least has a stronger arm. He doesn't use it. You know, if you look at, and there's a lot of kind of deep analytical numbers I've been searching for, because I'm like, am I missing something here? I'm like, folks, it, it's, you know, whatever. Rivers was an incredibly efficient quarterback, weeks two, three, and four. I know the competition wasn't great, but I'm like, I'd probably rather have Rivers than Brissett. I mean, I don't think either of you, either of them are going to get you to some great January success, but Correct. Um, at least I've seen that other movie with this regime. You know, you haven't seen Rivers necessarily with an elite rushing attack and I would say an offensive line that has underperformed based off their standards. But basically there's a um, there's a stat of average completed yards through the air, which, again, is a vertical passing stat. And through five games, Rivers is better than Brissett in that area. So, again, Brissett has the better arm, more velocity, whatever you want to call it. But he's not using it. Like, he, he didn't use it. So, um, that it, it, it is a head-scratcher to me. I would say the biggest thing that has to change for this offense is simply finishing drives. Which, I say simply because it's just, it's the last part of it all. Mm-hmm. They are moving it pretty well. Yeah. I mean, if you look at their drive success, they're actually scoring it at a better clip than they were through five games last year, which I think might surprise some people. Some, you know, Everyone's like, did you watch Jacoby the first five games last year? He was great. This team, the 2020 Colts, are scoring drives at a higher clip than they were last season. Right now, they're 10th they're in the NFL yeah. in scoring drives. It's acceptable. Right. The problem is those scores aren't touchdowns. And, and I think that's what you're running into is when you get into the red zone, and this is where I certainly can hear some people out, you are very restricted in what you can do in the red zone. I think it's why, you know, we saw it on Monday night several times, why New Orleans goes to Taysom Hill so much inside the 20 or in the 10. 
Because when the field is constricted Mm -hmm. and those moments of an open lane here, run lane, pass lane are so small, if you don't have a run threat at quarterback, it really hurts you. I mean, mean, think about, like, what a subtle pump fake does in the red zone or what a guy out of the pocket. How many times you see a quarterback get out of the pocket in the red zone and then the secondary, the coverage breaks down, or he just scrambles. No one's no one's accounting for the quarterback. Like yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, Philip Rivers. Seriously, he might be the slowest player in the NFL. I I mean that in all seriousness. And I know it sounds laughable, but the dude is probably the least athletic speed player in the NFL. He, he can't move. Yeah, he cannot move. And I think in the red zone, you just get so exposed with that because if it's not that first or second read. He's not moving in the pocket one way or the other to really all of a sudden move the defense. So I, I would say that is an issue, and it's honestly why I asked Jacoby or uh, Frank Reich today, as, as crazy of a question as it sounded when I said it out loud, I go, you know, have you thought about Jacoby back in the red zone package? I, I, I know it didn't work out week one, and I know Jacoby's not a great athlete by any means, but he certainly can move better than Bursette. And obviously Frank, you know, was very coy of what they do from a game plan standpoint. Um, but I also go back to something that I really, really, I, I, I wrote this right after the river signing that the pressure on your O-line group and your wideout group has just increased significantly Yes, because you have a quarterback that wants to get it out quick, which means what your wideouts got to beat press coverage. Mm-hmm. Your O-line's got to be elite because he can't hold on to it very long and extend plays. And I would say both those groups, and obviously it's not just pass protection for the O-line, which outside of Sunday, they've been pretty good. It's obviously run game. You have to give him a very supported run game so Jonathan Taylor isn't seeing the amount of eight-man boxes that he's seeing right now. But this wideout group and tight end group is not creating enough separation. It's um, those, those the analytical numbers... Um, there is a, a stat called separation. Mm-hmm. Simply, you know, again, your average route, how many yards are you separating? The Colts don't have a single player, Chris, in the top 100 of the NFL. 100. Last year, they had four. Like in the top 50. Hilton, Pascal, Ebron even, Doyle. Yeah. You know, it was, there was an ability there to provide some opportunities in the passing game, this group currently is not doing that. What do you think that is? Why? Well, I, I think the injuries to Campbell and Pittman are yeah. huge. Yes. Campbell especially. Um, you know, and is it another year older and another year of injuries for Hilton and Doyle? Is it, you know, Ebron, as much as we say he could get open, it was just catching the ball Correct. was Ebron's biggest issue. So, um we forget who Rivers played with in L.A. I mean, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Hunter Henry, mm-hmm. it's a pretty damn good trio right there. So um, I think that is something that we also have to keep in mind. Having said that, my two biggest worries with Rivers right now is this. The lateral arm strength speaks for itself. He can step up in the pocket for the vertical throws, the, the down-the-scene throws, but when he's throwing laterally and you don't really step into those throws as much right. – you know, it takes 10 seconds to get there. What is his arm strength going to look like in two months when he's got 25 more hits on him and the weather's even worse, yeah. you know, and there's just natural injuries? And then secondly, his decision-making has been freaking terrible on some of those picks. I mean, I, I went back and watched that pick on Monday, the pick six, mm-hmm. and tweeted it out, literally. What was he, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers could have a kid. Somehow it's 2020, weird things happen, you never know. They could have a kid, a son. That dude ain't completing that ball. No one is completing that ball. That had no chance. And one thing that I I think I said on the the podcast after watching Rivers in training camp, he doesn't throw it away often. He did say that, yeah. And the checkdowns to all the running backs has been a great outlet, was a great outlet in training camp and was in week one. They haven't been as abundant. Since then, those tight ends haven't been like those are kind of his throwaways. That to me, I mean, what that should have been a throwaway, right? And I don't know if he thought I was throwing it at Hilton's feet, but that was just a layup pick six, man. So when him mentally 
decision-making-wise, it starts to go. Holy shit. I mean, it's... So, look, the Colts are not in a good quarterback situation right now. They cannot come back and win football games, multi-score games. you got to stay ahead of things. Mm -hmm. The Rivers you saw week two, three, four, you were ahead of it. You were ahead of it defensively. You You did enough offensively. So, I think for the only way this changes, the run game's got to get going. Your defense has to continue to play at the level we are, we've seen more than the other level this season, which will be difficult because the schedule is going to toughen up. Mm-hmm. But, man, this is flat out. This is a team that, you know, when people are saying, oh, Rivers can be a top five, top ten quarterback with this offense, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. He had some skill out there with the Chargers oh, last yeah. year. Like, this is going to be the se- – you've improved it, but you haven't proved it that much. And that's that's reality, and that's what you're gonna have to live with. So, um, I don't think Rivers or Brissett under center, man. I, I just don't see this team right now winning a game in the month of January. Mm-hmm. No, it's very fair. So we'll see. I mean, it's gonna be, uh, boy, big game, big game, just for you know his psyche, his confidence, and whatnot. And yeah, physically, he just you feel like he's walking up seventeen or eighteen right now. Yeah, and. It happens. Five time wins, man, and that's where. And I know we'll get into some of this with the Twitter questions. You know that you know, you know Frank's comments, which I know he definitely came back on Monday and you know admitted, okay, my comments after the game on Sunday were dramatic and overdone, and you know he did not play whatever. And these, this is me talking. He did not play great football, but then when he ends it with the whole, he's a Hall of Famer, he'll bounce back. I have so much belief in him. This is where we're at with the Vinatieri stuff from last year, Chris. Of You can't just hand me this guy's resume and says that applies 100% to 2020. Yeah. The NFL, more than any other sport, physically, guys deteriorate. It's just life, man. In the league. Hell, it's life in general, not to mention in the NFL. Yeah. And we're talking kicker and quarterback. You know, two positions you would think longevity, you know, can be sustainable, but... You know, Frank Gore isn't the same running back he was a decade ago. Like, it's just – so when I hear that, I'm like, boy, that that, that cannot cloud your decision-making. You, you can't sit here and be like, the Philip Rivers that I coached in 2013, 14, and 15 is the same Philip Rivers now. You just – if you go down that slope, you're going to get what you asked for. Yeah, right. And that's right now. If what well, the rivers we saw on Sunday, if you continue to put them in those situations, you're going to get more of that. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a this is more you know I think it's a lot of you know it's a lot of ripping of rivers, but it's also a, a bit of deservedly so ripping of Ballard and Reich for believing that they could provide him the opportunities we saw week two, week three, week four on an every week basis. That's tough to do yeah. to sustain that, and they thought that they could do that. And so far, when you've played the best team on your schedule, you haven't been able to to do that. So, again, we might not see this come up again until November after that Lions yeah. game. But still, it'll be the uh, it'll be the looming cloud over this whole entire 2020 season. Absolutely. All right, Twitter questions. Let's jump into them. What do you say? Yes, yes. This one's from Clayton. says, I know Ballard is looking for the right guy to draft because he might only get one shot at drafting a quarterback, but how long is he allowed to keep his job while looking for the guy? He obviously didn't like any of the top quarterbacks in the last draft, and with the defense playing like it is and the lack of offensive production from the quarterback spot, it seems like it's almost a now or never in a quarterback class that I don't think has the depth that 2019 did. Yeah, you know, this is a really good question, Clayton. It, it will come down to that. Um, you know, just thinking out loud, I, I think the leash is pretty long from Jim Irsay with Chris Ballard. I would think he's going to get at least, well, I would probably say two drafts. I'd be very surprised if, I don't know, maybe the wheels would fall off and Ballard, you know, would be gone. But I, I would think he's going to get two drafts. But in my opinion, I don't know how you look at your current quarterback situation and think something significant shouldn't happen in April. Uh, good news, you know, Ed Dodds is watching Trey Lance. I mean, seriously, mm-hmm. like that is that shows you the Colts are paying attention and know full well what the long-term view looks like at that position. Uh, but, you know, it goes back to the whole, his first press conference here, and, you know, it, 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 it's, it's not about one guy and this and that, and it's like, I get it, that sounds good, and you do need to build a nice roster around that quarterback. 
you know, look at your record with luck and without luck in this regime. It's been about one guy. Right. So uh, that to me would say, here's my feet to the fire. You got to do something in April. This question's from Madison. How good is Grover Stewart really? Says, I think he flies so far under the radar that we don't realize how good he is, especially against the run, until he's out of the game. Yeah, that's a great, great point, Madison. Um, I would totally agree with that. You know, we talked about it, Chris, when we were saying kind of breakout players, Kamoko Ture, Paris mm-hmm. Campbell, you know, obviously health-dependent. Unique body types is a phrase that I use often. That's Grover. He yeah. is a very unique body type for that D-line. If you literally go out to practice – he stands out. I mean, obviously Buckner stands out because he's freaking huge, but Grover is literally the only 6'4", 320-pounder, 310-pounder. I think he's lost a little bit of weight, but still. I mean, he is a wide body compared to the rest of that group. So he deserves a second contract next spring without a doubt. And really, of that 2017 draft class, there's a lot of misses you know, in that draft. He is certainly not one of them, right. an absolute hit for sure, solid double, whatever you want to call it for your baseball analogy, out of Albany State, a very small school. You knew there was going to be some time to develop him, and uh, he's really shown up the last two years. Colts have been great. Outside of special teams, Chris, run defense, by far the best aspect of this football Mm -hmm. team through the first five weeks. Yeah. And great on Sunday. Josh asks, what's up with the lack of rotation on the defensive line? If the starters are struggling to generate pressure, why not bring in Lewis or Banigou for a few snaps? Yeah, you know, Josh, something I asked Matt Eberflus on Tuesday. Um, I'll say this, you know, what have Banigou and Lewis given you when they've been on the field this year? Lewis had the one sack, and mm-hmm. I think that's his only tackle all year. Banigou, really quiet. Um, Al-Kadeem Muhammad, honestly, is the guy in that reserve unit that's probably given you something, even though he was super quiet early on and then did have the sack last week. You know, to me, I, I think it's more blitzing. Um, and less of rush four and drop seven, which is such a popular thing with this system, especially yeah. Eberflus. So I'd like to see more pressure with blitzing because I just think you're then forcing a quarterback to try and identify pre-snap where pressure could be coming from. If you're just going to rush four, Banigou or you know whoever, Houston, okay, you at least know where the four guys are and you know how to handle your pass protection. If you're blitzing, doing things a little bit exotic pre-snap, now yeah. Joe Burrow's got to identify and you talk about dude that's been sacked a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> Holy, let's pray. That's all three seconds of silence for Joe Burrow. It's physical health. Amen. <laughs> I mean, dude, 70 sacks. I know. On pace for. I'm just glad he's healthy for this game. I'm like selfishly, I'm like, hey, I just want to see you play against the Colts and then yeah. Whatever, which sounds mean. Uh, but seriously, Josh, the future of the D line is what I'm worried about with this question. You know, Lewis Banigou. Ture, obviously, you know, if slash when, I assume he'll be back in November. Really, because all those, you know, one-year contracts, Autry, Houston, Stewart, Muhammad, uh, then those second-year or the second-round picks that are coming up on their deals. Muhammad, I think, is a free agent as well. Yeah, it's been disappointing for me. I, I just think the starters are playing so well, and the backups aren't giving you enough. Mm-hmm. That's why you're seeing the starters play as much as they have up front. Fair. Jay Will has a hypothetical. Assuming teams like Eason, assuming the team likes Eason as the future, and assuming Rivers plays like he has, the question has been raised: Do you bring back Rivers? His twist on it is: So you bring him back to continue mentoring Eason at a significant price reduction under his current level of play, or do we just saddle up and get Eason in next year? Well, my first thought is Philip Rivers ain't coming back to be a backup. And I don't know if that's what he's asking, but when I hear mentoring Eason at a significant price reduction, I would assume that means that, right. you know, you're pretty much mentoring him. You know, a question that I have, and I was filling in on the morning show this morning and asked Stephen Holder this, how bad does it have to be for the Colts to move on? You know, a week ago, one week ago, Chris Ballard is uttering the phrases of, you know, he's playing great football and more than we could have asked. And I, I'm paraphrasing, and I, I'll, I'll try and find the quote before the podcast is over. But, like, does one half just all of a sudden totally change that? The Colts feel like this is a two-year thing. Reich especially. But I've said it all along. The best thing Ballard did was just one year. So, um, if, if this trend, I mean, and hell, I said this during the offseason. If I was running the show, there would have, there would have been no Band-Aid. There would have been no stopgap. It would have been, here's the rookie. 
I'm gonna. That's the best chance yeah. to win long term, especially when I'm getting a bunch of dudes. They're all a bunch of dudes, but you know, say what you want. Newton, I don't see him lasting 16 games. Bridgewater ain't winning you games in January on a routine basis. You know, whoever Dalton, Mariota, whoever else you want to throw in there, Foles, they're all just kind of ugh, meh. Rivers is meh. You know, it's just like you have to be so good in those other areas to win with that quarterback. I can't see a Tannehill type of season from these guys. You know, Tannehill yeah. is a former top ten pick, still age thirty or however old he is. He can't. He's. He's. I think he's the same grade that I was. So it's just. Uh, yeah. How how bad does it have to be for the Colts to move on? I'd be saddling up and getting Eason in there. Right. But I gotta stress, like my opinion is probably a lot different than what they're thinking internally. For now. Yeah. For now. Chase says, I've been a bit of an apologist thus far thinking the vanilla play calling was due to leads and the points would be there when we needed them. But it really did feel like the game was out of reach and we were down 20 as soon as we got behind. I understand personnel can fluctuate, but how much confidence do you have in Reich if we go down two scores in the second half to a Kansas City, Baltimore, or Buffalo come January? And then, what about Rivers? Anything less than complete confidence is frustrating as this season is a waste, and they will be until they have a real winner at that position. Yeah, I mean, I have no confidence whatsoever in coming back from two scores against those no. teams. Yeah, absolutely no confidence. You got to play with a lead against them. You got to play keep away. Um, and that's for both. I mean, Reich and Rivers, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I just never, never believed this was a team that was that capable of winning on the road in those venues. And that's, you know, with how Tennessee looked last night, man, I mean, Winning this division is talk about a mountain like climb yeah. with, with how Tennessee looked. You're gonna have to go on the road. See, you better pray you're in a bubble or something because I just can't see this team again winning away from home, especially if you get down in those games. And then Chase follows up with a more fun question: Who wins in a foot race? Campbell, Hines, Taylor, or Rogers? Ooh, I like that one. Campbell, Campbell, Hines, Taylor, Rogers. I would say. I still haven't seen Rodgers open it up. Like, I know he had a big kick return, but I still didn't feel like he needed to open it up. I'll say Campbell nips Rodgers at the tape. Okay. This one comes from Scotty. If we lose, the, if we lose this game because horrible defense planning and dumb interceptions, will anything change for the Colts? You think he's talking firings? I mean, that's I, I don't I don't know what exactly the changes would be um you know this is a three and three football team if you were to lay the dud of all duds on sunday i can't see anything yeah firings or basically i think it's going to take two horrific games from rivers not halves games from rivers for the colts to bench him okay and as far as the defense yeah i mean i don't you're not firing eber yeah i don't I don't know what, what Scotty wants. Craig has a two-parter. Says he hears Frank Reich scripts the offensive plays, normally 16-20, to 20, and we've had great success for touchdowns during opening drives. Do you think this will expand? Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, You know, everyone scripts the first, whatever, 15 plays of a game. I also think that script can go out the window pretty quickly. Like. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we're going to get four yards in this play, six yards in this play. Oh, shit. Did, did the script have a holding penalty in there? Did the script have a pass interference penalty that just got me 30 yards? Like, right. no, it, it just – they've had really good success early in games, and I wish I had a better, like, and better reasoning, and, and they are the same way of why they have had that. Certainly, I think a script, to a degree, it helps. Um, maybe there's some slight adjustments made after opening drives that teams start to get into. But, yeah, it is interesting, Craig. They've had, four. I think, four of their eight touchdowns are on opening drives. And then on the defensive side, Craig feels like the Colts do make great adjustments at half, only giving up three points to Cleveland. Is Eberflus that great at the half, and how can we put together a better game plan from the start? You know, this might be harsh, Chris, but I just don't put as that much stock in the Colts' second-half effort on Sunday in Cleveland. I mean, sure, it, it, it kept you in the game, and I, I, I'm wrong on this. I know I'm wrong, and I should give more credit. But when you give up 20-and-a-half, I think Cleveland's mindset changes at halftime. A little bit pedal off the metal there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they just had Landry had some horrible drops 
in that second half. Yeah, I mean, Okariki and Walker, I, I should commend them on the on the plays that they made there, but it's just, yeah, I, I can't. I mean, great adjustments at the half. You just gave up freaking 20 in the first half. I would hope, <laughs> hope there are some adjustments being made. Yeah. And Cleveland obviously is not going to be as aggressive with a multi-score lead like they were. Jacoby's Burner and Jacob both have similar type questions. Who are realistic options for the Colts around the trade deadline, and have you heard anything associated with trades? Well, no, no I haven't heard anything this early because we are early. November 3rd is the deadline. Um, I think a bye week will probably be the better evaluator. And this is a question we'll get a lot, and I think a big question is how, when, now are you? Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you are really in this win now mode and you think I don't think there's a trade out there you could make that all of a sudden would greatly shift my thinking because that, think about this, Chris, too. You're going to have to make a trade before you play another playoff team. You know, Detroit's November 1st. I mean, that's two days before the trade deadline. So you're going off of literally. Yeah, I guess we think Cleveland's a playoff team. Um, Chicago, I don't really know what we think. Basically, you've played one playoff team, maybe two, and that's what you're going off of. So, I think the NFL trade deadline, unfortunately, is really overblown. Mm-hmm. It's not like Major League Baseball yeah. or even the NBA's deadline. So, I just, I, I, I still don't think the Colts. I don't know if they've ever made a trade under Ballard at the deadline. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Me either. But. So, yeah, I, I uh, you know. I don't want to say that I'm like punting on the season by any means, but like I, I just am so protective of draft picks unless I really think it can make a huge difference in the month of January. As is Ballard. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, Ballard for sure. My mindset is probably different than Ballard's though, even. You know, I think Ballard's is like a, uh, I mean, yeah, Ballard definitely wants to keep his picks, but. Um, I just think there's a little bit more of an internal belief of the roster, like we'll get it turned around. Mm-hmm. Mine is more of, uh, I don't think this year's going to reach that goal, so I want everything in the cupboard still. Gotcha. This one comes from Jason. If the Colts are truly all in this year, how can you not be on the phone with Atlanta for a Ryan trade? Bad Rivers is not is not just a one-week occurrence. Yeah, I mean, is Matt Ryan the difference? How many times have you ever seen a quarterback get traded in season and do something? You know, it's and yeah, Matt Ryan's got a better arm than Philip Rivers, but holy hell. I mean, that Atlanta team has gobs of talent and just seemingly can't get it done. So, yeah, I'm not wasting a draft pick on a rental that is 35 years old that isn't getting me over the hump. And he gets paid too, right? I mean, he's he's signed a bigger contract recently. Yeah, and I, yeah, I I should probably pay more attention to the financials of it all, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, no, I, I just. Is Matt Ryan going to walk in here with this football team and all this? I I don't I don't know. I just don't think is he that much of an upgrade? I don't I don't know. I mean he's he's not throwing the ball to Julio and Calvin Ridley here. Definitely not. Definitely not. So yeah. All right. Creighton wants to know, or Creighton says, I think this offseason Jack Doyle. One more thing. Chris. Okay. Sorry. Found the Ballard quote again. This is Ballard one week ago mm-hmm. before the Cleveland game. I think Phillips playing at a really high level. Dot, 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 he rattles off some stats. And then we couldn't be more happy to have Phillip here in Indianapolis. I mean, again, that's one. I, I don't think in one half, I think Ballard is a big believer in, like, ebbs and flows of a season and adversity hits and, you know, obviously every coaching cliche of one week, one week. Now, other people would be like, how do you watch that second half and not think that that's the more, that is the rivers that you're going to see more often when you are in the pressure pack games, when you are playing better competition, things like that, which is fair, totally fair. Um, but again, I'm probably speaking more from the Colts here. It's like, I just can't see them. That would be quite the panic button to be pressing. I don't think that they, they look at it this way to, to do something so drastic in season. Yeah. And I believe he said something, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You listen to all the all the press conferences. They asked about how he judges the offense and defense, and is basically, are they doing enough to win the game, or are they losing the game? Yeah, and period. so far, you've won three and lost two. Right. So until you lose more games than you win, I think they're just going to stick with what they have. Yeah, I mean, period. I mean, that, that's exactly right. And, again, I sit here and look at it and think, well, 
the measuring sticks of those five games are different. And like you saw Chicago team bench their quarterback with a three and zero mark. Like, but yes, I, I I do agree with you in that. I think that's how the Colts view it. Um, but yeah, it's just a. Uh, it's weird. I mean, his arm laterally, man, it's it's ugly. The biggest thing that has to change, if you start finishing off these drives, we, we wouldn't be talking about it mm-hmm. much. And I know, again, that sounds like I'm saying it in such a simple way, but if you can start to get to punching it in and Blankenship is not leading the league in points scored, now all of a sudden, okay, you're scoring 27 or whatever, maybe even more than that, because they're moving it. I mean, if you look at their average yards per drive right now, they're gaining more yards than they were this time last year without the run game. So that, again, that goes back to my Jacoby, like, Rivers debate. I'm like, you know, they're moving it without this run game. Mm-hmm. And, like, did we not watch Monday Night Football against the Saints last year? Did we not watch the second half of the season when – yeah, I, I just I, I I know I'm picking like two players that just are both not high level starting quarterbacks in the NFL, but I don't know. For now I'd probably rather see Rivers for uh for a couple more games and then yeah, I mean, if it gets ugly, you you know where I'm going. Yep. I'm going the rook. Creighton feels like this offseason Jack Doyle should be cut. Eight and a half million is just way too much for a blocking tight end. Don't get me wrong, I love Doyle, but we have way too, so many players we need to re-sign and could put his money towards a better tight end. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, Creighton, his production certainly lately has not been at that contract value. I would say this, um, you know, when you get to 30-year-olds on multi-year deals, these questions come up a lot. You know, outside of Mo Cox, you don't have a lot of guy. you don't really don't have any tight ends long-term. You know, Trey Burton's a one-year free agent. Um and then all of a sudden, tight end just becomes a huge need. I still think it's a need in some capacity. I thought it was a need back in April, but you know, the cutting of Doyle would really put you know a heavy burden on Mo Ali Cox for a team that is very multi tight end dependent. So I'm probably not there. I, I think it would save um, about four and a half million, which is notable. But you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I'm there yet. 1924 says, I get what you're saying about Rivers, but the man is making over $20 million and has to be better. At this point, don't you think Eason would be worth a shot? Look at what the other rookie quarterbacks are doing, and is Herbert that much better than Eason? Well, he's, what, 116 draft picks better than him. At least that's what the NFL thought, you know, six overall versus 122 overall. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get the question. Um, like I said, if I were on the show, I'd have turned the page on the rookie QB long ago, but that's just me. I value the position, I think, a lot more than than they do. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm watching that Monday night game, Chris, and, I mean, Herbert just throws such a beautiful ball, especially down the field. And it got me thinking back to Frank's comment after the draft of saying, you know, Eason feels like the best arm talent in the draft. Obviously, Herbert in that draft, mm-hmm. and I mean, certainly, I've we've talked about Eason, and if, if people really want to inject themselves with Jacob Eason stuff, go back to that podcast we we did right after the draft, really, maybe springtime about just kind of a film breakdown on Jacob Eason that that's somewhere in the archives. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you see that arm talent, it's it's eye popping, and yeah, I mean, the the whole twenty five million. You know, when you look at that number, Chris, I think it ranks 14th or 15th in the NFL for quarterback money on an on an annual basis. Um, and you know, you look at Rivers' numbers right now, near the bottom in touchdowns, mm-hmm. near the bottom in uh, picks. Uh, what's the other one? He's pretty low in quarterback rating. I want to say he's in like the mid 20s. Completion percentage, I think he's six yards per attempt, 12th. You know, those are fine numbers, but. I think right now it's just it's the fatal interceptions and the capping of drives. Those are the two yeah. things. Oh yeah. And if you know you you correct that the the twenty five million, yeah. People always and people look at like the whole Newton thing and they're like, oh my gosh, he's doing this at that price tag and Rivers is doing this at it. So I get why it bothers people. Yeah, I, and that's that's very fair. 
Um, he definitely has not played like the 14th best quarterback in the NFL this season or wherever that contract value would, would slot. Roop wants to talk about the future quarterback play as well and potentially Sam Darnold. Do you think Frank Reich, who is a quarterback guru, could reverse what Adam Gase has done to Darnold here with the Colts? Yeah, you know, Rube, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask because I just remember watching Darnold play at Notre Dame a few years ago, and he looked as good as Rivers in the second half on Sunday. So I, I'll admit I'm a bit biased. And, like, Chris, you have this Tannehill example, which is fascinating that he's resurrected his career so well, but I just don't think that's the norm. And I, I would rather take a chance with – my own identification of a draft player, the guy that is only going to want, only going to know one NFL system, one NFL culture, one whatever. Um, you know, Darnold has some characteristics that are intriguing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fascinating case study to see when the Jets draft number one overall or wherever they end up, probably number one overall. You know where he goes, assuming you know they they obviously take Lawrence one, but still, it's um. Yeah, it's a whole scar tissue, man. I just I just can't get that out of my head. Zach has listened to this podcast for quite some time. He's never asked his Twitter question, but this weekend he was so irked that he finally had to ask one. Oh, boy, here we go. Thank you, Zach. I, I think thank you. Why is Hines making fair catch inside our own 10? I love watching Hines play, but instead of making the fair catch, let the ball bounce and hopefully get out of there with a touchback. The yardage could have gotten much worse from where he made the catches. One of them cost us two points. That was bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I talked to Bubba Ventrone, special teams coordinator, on Tuesday and, and really wanted to talk to him about how great the blocking was and that kick return by Rodgers. But then I'm like, oh, I've also got to ask you about yeah. Naheem. And basically, they, they have a rule, kind of eight-yard line is their rule, and that if the gunners get behind you, then maybe you field it at the seven or the six. Maybe. Probably more so seven. But at that point, you're probably just taking a chance. The ball's going to bounce in the end zone. And, I mean, what's the difference between the two-yard line and the five-yard line? You know, something like that. So, uh, that was a mistake by Hines. You know, Bubba made it pretty clear that he's been pretty reliable and is such a good pro. I don't think he would he will do that again and whatever. Because, remember, he hasn't been a punt returner for that long. Mm-hmm. You know, I know he did it late last year, but still, it's, re- it's relatively new. Honestly, Chris, I- I'd have to go back and watch it, but... I would say just if you're going to field it at the five, four, try and run with it. <laughs> I mean, if you get five yards in that situation, it opens up your playbook much more. Like, if you're going to be crazy enough to field the damn thing, at least yeah. try and run and do something. So, I don't know. I, again, I'd have to go back and look at it. But, yeah, that was a, just a, a a terrible mistake that was compounded by a terrible play call. For me, that was the shocking point. Hines is normally a very, very smart player. I felt like once he made that catch, he was probably on the sideline like, dang it, I really shouldn't have caught that. Right. And then the next time out, I felt like he had tr- trouble tracking the ball. Yeah, and like, he oh, my he God, he's going to do it again. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I do remember that. He's not the most clean. Feel. Rogers, Chester Rogers was a bit more of a smooth um, punt returner in terms of fielding it, mm-hmm. catching it. This goes back to, I don't know, Tyler asked us, you know, weeks ago about I'd rather have a trustworthy guy. It's like, I watched Notre Dame on Saturday, and they got Lawrence Keys back there, and he muffs it, and then the, then they got a walk-on that they put out there. It's just such a kind of like stereotypical college thing of here's our trustworthy guy that'll put his hand up and fair catch it all mm-hmm. game long. and Yeah, that, that, that's where you're at. But, yeah, I, I can't – I've sh- I, I, my head shakes at a lot of things from Sunday, Chris. It really shakes at the decision of that play call that led to a safety and then – the pick six by Rivers. Yeah. It was um it was I've got Cleveland minus four and a half. That 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 was the decision. I mean it was like what? <laughs> what well, wait, 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 what? Matt's it's Wednesday. I gotta move on, but I mean <laughs> you can't you can't you can't fully move on. Right. Matt's been thinking, Kevin, do you find it kind of shocking that the Colts who just signed a thirty eight year old Rivers didn't think there was a need to draft a quarterback high? But a team like Green Bay, who has a guy who's won a Super Bowl and an MVP, did draft someone in the first round. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's funny how teams operate. You know, Chris, I always think back to the story of um, the Saints getting ready to draft Patrick Mahomes in 2017. And then 
boom, here comes Kansas City trading up. And now New Orleans is getting Marshawn Lattimore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, think about that. You got Drew Brees 2017. I mean, that's MVP type of Drew Brees. And yet, how long are you going to wait on this Mahomes kid? And, and what you imagine their reaction? I mean, the Saints go from taking a backup quarterback for multiple years to drafting a corner that's probably their best or second best defensive yeah. player right now. So it, it's just it's crazy how how the draft just dictates so much. It can change in such an instance when you have no idea how it's going to be. But, yeah, man, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, that is a pissed-off individual right now. All right, this one comes from AJ. says, this was a loss that coming out felt more encouraging than disappointing. Our offense was what we believed it to be, but our defense showed a lot of grit. Even though they struggled in the first half, he feels like they dominated the second half. Eberflus made some really good adjustments. Considering how bland this defense has been the last two years, it's awesome to see how aggressive we were in the second half. I believe Buckner has been nearly everything we wanted him to be. The defensive line's attitude has completely changed, and you can tell that Buckner has made everyone around him better. This defense just seems to have a whole new swagger to it. Yeah, AJ, um, I hope you continue to listen after I say this, but I couldn't disagree more with this. Um this was a loss that coming out of it felt more encouraging than disappointing. I, I, oof. I'm sorry. I thought it was the best test of the year, and you failed miserably, uh, you know, defensively in the first half and certainly offensively in the second. Um, I go back to the adjustments, you know, after giving up 20 points in one half, and it's – you would hope. Um, so, yeah, I can't, I can't go there. You know, Buckner has been nearly everything we we wanted him to be. I, I would say that is really well put, though. I still want a little more. Mm-hmm. I still want the individual production. I think it's a sack and a half and two tackles for loss through five weeks. And I know, and I, I said this earlier today on our morning show, and I had some people pushing back on it. You gave up the 13th overall pick, and you gave the man $100 million. That means you need unquestioned all-pro Ability and production. And you, you'll have people sit here and say, whoa, 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 you know, other people are making sacks. Other people are making those plays. I've watched the Colts pass rush get two sacks in the last two weeks. 80, 80 pass attempts. One against Nick Foles. Yeah. Statue. Two sacks. It's about finishing plays. It's about making the game-changing plays. It's about Miles Garrett getting a safety, and boom, that that his pressure changes the game there. So um, I've got high standards for DeForest Buckner. That that rightfully so or not that to me that comes with the price tag when you give that man that much gave up that much and then give him that much there is a very high standard and I just want to see a little bit more than the the, the nine quarterback hits oh my gosh that's a dream yeah but finishing those plays of the sacks a few more tackles for loss that's what you want to see and again unfairly or not this is the territory that comes with how I look at him based off what the Colts said. Because what the Colts said in making that move is this. We're good on holding off on quarterback for another year. If the Colts sit there at 13, don't make the trade for Buckner, that gives them an a easier trade package. A, a You don't have to mortgage everything to move up to whatever, four or five to get Herbert or Tua, where you take love, whatever your sort of quarterback dilemma would have been. So, again, I know that this, I'm probably in the minority here. Buckner has been so, so good. And he's if I'm going to rank, like, the top five defensive tackles in the league right now through the start of the season, he's probably in the top four, five, six. You know, he's probably right in that age. But, man, I, I want it to be Aaron Donald and then him. Yeah. Like that, you know, the, like that's what the Colts really need because, again, you've pushed back the quarterback thing for another year. And that's that's the biggest gripe that I think, a lot of people, including me, have with this past offseason. Do you think the injuries at the wide receiver position and what is, in my opinion, a steep decline from what we've seen from T.Y. with drops is to blame for Philip Rivers' struggles? Says a short training camp with the receivers and ones he's been more comfortable with being hurt. He seems to love going to Campbell prior to the injury, and since then he seemed a little chaotic. Yeah, I mean, Tyler, I think that's right. He loves Campbell, and that was really disappointing. But at the same time, you know, Jacoby played with a pretty depleted wideout group last year. So I, I can't just you, – you, you can't ignore that. Um, you know, Jacoby wasn't playing with a bunch of dudes last year at that position. So uh, Rivers has got to be better with that, that group. But as I was saying earlier, 
you look at those separation stats, they're not pretty at all. Um, sure, there's plays where Rivers is missing guys that are open, but there's also times where I've seen the ball thrown downfield, and I'm like, holy hell. I mean, the, the DB's literally right there. And this week you're going to see a very tight coverage. It's one thing Cincinnati prides itself on is they're going to be aggressive at the line of scrimmage, and so this is going to be something that we'll have to look at as well. But certainly I, I would – and I'd throw Pittman in there. But still – you know, J- Jacoby had games last year where it was a banged up Hilton, Pascal, Marcus Johnson, and uh, like Doolin. I, I, yeah. I mean, so I, I can't sit here and act like um, that's an excuse for Rivers. David asked, did you notice Nick Sirianni had the numbers 25 and 15 on his visor on Sunday? He feels like to him that means Paris Campbell might not be seen again this season. Yeah, David pointed this out to me, so I asked Sirianni about this on Tuesday. Um, and, you know, he just he talked about how his own injury story and, and this and that and how, you know, he just felt like he always appreciated when coaching staffs you know, honored those guys or, you know, you're still with us, whatever you want to say. Um, I, I don't – I guess I'll say this, David. I'm probably not putting a number on my visor for a guy who's coming back. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see – yeah, Michael Pittman's number on a visor, Anthony Costanzo's number on a visor. It's just so, yeah. But I will say also, if I'm reading into numbers on visors, then that's a ooh, that's like hitting on seventeen. Mm-hmm. Brad and Jacob both have questions regarding quarterback play, saying that Rivers is is going to hold us back. Feels like it's an upgrade from last year, yes, but doesn't feel confident we can win a playoff game. Lawrence and Fields aren't realistic options. And so the question is, would you rather use the capital to move up and get someone like Lance in the draft or try and use the same capital and draft a quarterback, trade for a quarterback, I should say, whose teams don't seem so sold on them like Wentz, Carr, Darnold, or even younger talent like Haskins? Trade, baby! Team trade. Trade up in the draft. Um, yeah, and, and I'll, I'll, you know this will be a great offseason chatter, and I'll, I'll look into more of these guys, Wentz, Carr, Darnold, Haskins, but... I'm team trade, man. Moving on up, what? You got to hope that, I don't know, that the Giants still believe in Daniel Jones and they get a top three pick. I I, I don't know. You got to hope that, you know, some of those teams fall in the top five and whatnot. But I am a team trade. Team draft, I should say. Robbie's got two questions for you. Given the noise around Rivers, how many Rivers jerseys do you feel has been sold by the Colts store? Robbie, your guess is good as mine. I don't. I can't say I've been out in public too much, nor am I scouring the stands, small stands at Lucas Oil. But yeah, I can't imagine many, and certainly not after last week. I mean, again, this fan base hated Rivers to begin with, so I don't think anyone was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> got to go get a Rivers jersey." Right. Second part is, do you know where Andrew Luck lives? Uh yeah, I do. Um, I'm probably not gonna say it though, just for safety but yeah he's he's living here in indy living life this one comes from brian what's more overrated the colts offensive line or philip rivers oh it's the o-line yeah I, again overrated is is the key term here brian I, I don't think at least i never rated rivers higher than what top 10 quarterback mm-hmm. in this league so i'm not too stunned by the rivers we've seen through five weeks uh you know if you're going to tell me Hey, Kevin, Phillip Rivers is going to have the 30-whatever ranked rushing yards per carry supporting cast through the first, I'd say, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know if I want to see his numbers. Yeah. Uh, but the O-line, I mean, you know, everyone ranks them top two, three, whatever you want to say in the NFL, and they have been overrated. So, yeah, I think there's been more of a drop, I guess, from where the O-line expectations are to, you know, the reality of where they've been the season. And, and again, it goes back to what I talked about earlier. You, when you signed rivers, you put even more of a burden on that O-line and your whiteout group to take a step up. Whiteout group, take a step up O-line group to be as dominant as they were at time last season, if not more. And they haven't done that. Matt's got a two parter for you, but first wants to say he appreciates the content and hopes the new family is well. All right, thank you, Matt. Sa- same to you. Same to all our listeners. Says the poor coverage mistakes from the D in the first half, though corrected in the second. Hines there, Rivers' offense, and the subsequent play due to injuries. The transparent admission and guilt stick of Reich's play calling is wearing thin on me. It seems like we tend to overlook mistaken calls 
like that of Rivers' safety throw on the five-yard line because he's transparent about them, and thus the barometer on how good this team can be truly it becomes truly murky. Why do you think there's so much overthinking from someone who is so good offensively, offensively minded? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny, Chris. It's like when you when the really creative plays work, it's unbelievable design, total outsmart, just man, that's a genius calling plays. And then when they don't work, it's this. Mm-hmm. Why is he getting so cute? Why it, it's such a fine line with it. Um I mean, Sunday's a perfect example. You know, I've ripped that safety call and, and why why you make that call. And then you see the fourth and two where it's, you know, Hilton in motion before the snap. And it's a shovel option to Burton. And it's a, you know, Taylor's running pretty much free after a great block from Pascal for the touchdown. Like, if for some reason Ryan Kelly snaps that ball and hits Hilton and the play's dead, people will be like, why the hell is Hilton coming in motion? Why are you trying to get so cute with it? You have the best O-line in football, just run it up the gut. Yeah, you know, like that's what what people would say. So, um, one thing I'd probably push back on is what's he say here? Reich safety on the five yard line because he's transparent about it. I mean, I appreciate Frank Reich's transparency on things, but I mean, I'm still going to critique him if he's, you know, literally handing me the playbook, or if he's not going to say one word. Like it's my job to again critically evaluate. So yeah. that has no bearing on it for me. Here's the second part. It says, I was waiting for another week one-like performance to come to this conclusion, but Rivers ain't it. Brissett isn't the move either, and I'm tired of being pretenders. How many more performances like Sundays do we need to see until Ballard and his own transparent self admits that this was the wrong move? Again, I, I really think it's going to take two more horrific games. Game, 60-minute football. I feel like people at times are acting like he's Nathan Peterman Rivers. You know, like it's it's not. Folks, the dude was leading the league in completion percentage two weeks ago. Like it's not it's not been that, that bad. Like to the point where you bench him, no questions asked. Like, that's just not realistic. So, um and I go back to what the Ballard quote was earlier. You know, um and as far as Ballard transparent self and admits this was the wrong move, you won't hear that publicly until the season's over. And the only way you'll hear that through actions is if he's outright benched. Right. I mean, that's really the only reason you're going to hear that. So, Zach Man, has, people are fired up, dude. They are. It does stem back. I really do think it stems back to the so many years of hatred or just people not necessarily liking him. Yeah, if and, his name was like Bob Jones, you know, would it yeah. be different? Or Yeah. I was thinking Butch Jones with your Tennessee <laughs> shirt on. So that's why I wanted Bob. Yeah, I don't like him either. Why but you, no, no, sorry. You, you, you are right, though. I mean, it, it's part of that. And I think, again, when you physically see the limitations, that's the big – because I think that was what everyone said. He's washed up when, when he left the Chargers last year. All you heard from the Colts is the arm strength's still there. We're going to give him a better environment, all that. Oh, the arm strength is still a question, and you haven't given him that better environment. But then I'm like, wait, you're 3-2. and two. He really has played one bad half in the last four games. Horrific half. Horrific. But really one bad half. I mean, he threw one pick week two, three, and four, and that was off Allie Cox's chest. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, folks, and this is where I can just I feel the YouTube comments. Oh, my gosh, you're carrying Rivers water, this and that. I'm just like, folks, trying to give you an honest depiction of how I'm seeing it right now. I don't think it's been good at all, really. Uh, it's kind of what I expected. Ups, downs, ugliness, and stunning the future of your franchise. Yeah. This question comes from Zach. Why do you think Frank blatantly lies in his press conferences? Says, I understand not wanting to be Bruce Arians, but when he says Vinatieri and Rivers are, quote, the least of his worries, end quote, it makes me not even want to listen to what he has to say. Yeah, Zach, I mean, there's a lot of validity to that. I think it really frustrates people. Um, And Frank, it's the preacher in Frank. It's the – he's just never even going to sniff it. But I'm with you, Zach. When he goes there to the extremes, the least of my worries, Rivers played really good football on Sunday. That's when he gets to like, wait, are you lying to us? I mean, seriously. Mm -hmm. I had someone tweet at me earlier today, like, either he thinks we're blind or we're stupid or we're both. And I think that's what's really frustrating for people. It's like you can have this vote of confidence, but like we are talking about on Monday, why can't you say, yeah, Phillip's got to be better, and we all got to be better. You know, you, you just kind of quickly throw that caveat. But the biggest thing is this. Your words cannot influence your decisions internally. If that starts to happen, 
which it did last year when you continue to run Vinatieri out there, that's when you are going to get bit, and it's really going to cost you. Same thing, Brissett, top 20 quarterback, and you think, okay, he's going to be our starter. Mm-hmm. That's the, that is – I have – okay, you say publicly what you want to say publicly. We'd all love fire and brimstone. That'd be great. You want to hear public accountability. But as long as you're doing it behind closed doors and the locker room knows, that's all that really matters. And I think the big thing with Reich is if all of a sudden he would go down that road, it would appease some fans. But I think that locker room internally would be like, wait, why, why is he acting like this? Is he starting to feel the pressure? Is he starting to think, okay, it's my third year now. That was weird. It, it was weird the Reich we saw Sunday and then the Reich that we saw Monday. It's, um, yeah, I mean, he, he's a smart dude. Right. He knows this is a big year for him. Mm-hmm. Ice J has two quick ones for you. With how Rivers played, do you expect any quarterback changes if this persists, either on the roster or via trade? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've gone over that. No. I mean, two games, full games. Side note, the wife and I are coming to the Colts-Ravens on November 9th. Any bar recommendations? Oh, here we go. Let's do it. Slippery Noodle, great spot before mm-hmm. Colts game, right, uh, right on South Street outside of Lucas Oil. Um... What else? What do you got? I, uh, you know, I love the Mass Ave area. It's not within walking distance of Lucas Oil unless it's a beautiful day and you really want to walk off the beers. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously downtown, you got a Kilroy's, you got a Brothers. It's a little bit more of a lively crowd. Yep. Uh, probably a little younger crowd, depending on your age, Ice J. Although Ice J might sound, that's that's a hip name. <laughs> uh, what do you got? You got anything else? No, I agree. Mass Ave is always a good, a good spot. Um, like you said, it's a little far, but you could scooter down. Depending on yeah, how, you definitely what the down. weather's like. I mean, November 9th, I don't, I don't necessarily know. but Right. I, I'm a big fan of Slippery Noodle. I think it gets a good spot pregame. Granted, I've never been to a pregame bar before Colts game. <laughs> the articles would look a little different yeah, if you, they if you would. were. Yeah, they would. Maybe I should. <laughs> this is from Kalu. At what point do the Colts consider Benjamin Rivers from TD to interception ratio? Well, you know, that's the interesting point is the touchdown-interception ratio. I think that's what frustrates people the most, and, and that's where I – totally agree with people right that has to change you have got to be a more efficient team in finishing off drives because when you're not capping these drives and you're settling for field goals and then you're throwing these picks it's just it's a fatal recipe so that i think is the one area you know those stats i mentioned earlier completion percentage yards per attempt quarterback rating touchdown interception it's that that is the one thing that i think you're really really frustrated rightfully so about so um, I think if it continues down this road, um, yeah, that's where that's where you would consider making a move. The second part is, is Taylor starting to become a Trent Richardson 2.0 with the vision, although still a lot better? Oh, my God. Come on. Oh, okay, Lou. Trent Richardson and Jonathan Taylor in the same sentence. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, I can't. I can't go there. You know, we had questions about Marlon Mack's vision in 2017 as a rookie, and he grew right out of it. I uh, trust Jonathan. I would say Jonathan Taylor's off the field habits and Trent Richardson off the field habits. How do I put this? Slightly different. <laughs> yeah, slightly, slightly different. Yes. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. But man, all those eight man boxes I was talking about earlier. Yeah, Taylor, I think right now fifth in the NFL most eight man boxes, which I find interesting. Uh, it's like 27%. Of course, a lot of four-minute offense in there. You True. know, obvious rushing situations. Last year, Mack was like, hell, he might have been like 40th in the NFL. Eight-man boxes, only 12% of the time. I'm thinking to myself, boy, the Colts didn't throw it vertically last year. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's interesting to me. I, well, you know, were they not in as many four-minute situations? I guess not really. They didn't really blow teams out. Maybe that plays into it, but... That's um that's interesting. To me. That is interesting. I mean the Colts are adamant. I I think we're we are, we got to be approaching the Taylor breakout game. Anthony Casanzo back at practice today. That's big. Got to think it's coming. A couple more left here for Twitter questions. Conroy and Sincere want to talk about Jacob Eason. With all that seems to be going on with Colts Nation clamoring for him, do you think the Colts will give the kid a shot at some point this year, even if there's no injuries to that position? You know, I really would be surprised. Um, you know, obviously, I, I want to see it. But, Chris, turning to Eason basically says, Philip Rivers, you need to retire. And we are, we've punted on the 2020 season. That's an in-season change to that move would indicate that. So, 
you're a three and two football team. You're probably going to be five and two. So record-wise, to get to the point where you're going to – they are not punting until they're eliminated from the playoffs. If you're 5-2, and two, you're not going to be eliminated, eliminated from the playoffs. Hell, maybe throughout the entire year. I mean, seven teams make the playoffs. you got to think an 8-8 eight and eight team is, mm-hmm. is going to sneak in there. So, yeah, I just I, – I can't – I cannot see it happening. I feel like at times we've forgotten that this team is 3-2. and two. And in a seven-team AFC playoff picture – you're going to hold on for dear life and pray that you're somehow playing indoors and you get a lead and your defense plays well and Rivers throws it to the guys wearing blue or white. Mm-hmm. This question is from Isaac. Is it too much of a stretch to say that we don't have a wide receiver one? T.Y. Haskell and Johnson are all playing with less than wide receiver two stats. Yeah, I, I don't. Boy, that's. Uh, I think that's a fair statement, to mm-hmm. be honest. On pace for uh, 60 catches, 700 yards, I wrote today in my article on Hilton. So that's not wide out number one. Certainly not what you need. I mean, you you need Hilton to get back to his normal self so badly. He's He needs to get in the end zone this week, man. It, it's been a year. It's just, uh, boy, you just, you really need him to step yes. up. You got, you, yeah, you don't. You, you, you don't. you don't have any threat, any serious threat. Benji asks, is this coaching staff capable of looking at the roster objectively? Says Rivers has done some good things, but his lack of mobility and arm strength are a serious problem. Yeah, no, Benji, that's the, the, that objectively is an interesting word that you that you state there. Um, there's been some decisions that make you think they don't look at it objectively. But, man, I'll go back to what I said earlier. Lack of mobility and arm strength. I mean, dude, I really think he's the slowest player in the NFL. I do. I feel like he's getting his his like cleat out of mud every mm-hmm. time he starts to take off. It's just, and then I watched Tannehill last night jump in the air. I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna tear his ACL when he lands. Right. He. I felt like his knee almost buckled like, when Jesus. he landed. Gosh. Um. Yeah. I mean, the O line has got to be so damn good, so damn good, with Rivers. Last Twitter question of this podcast comes from Abby, who is wanting to get a new jersey. Here we go. Wants it to be a player who will be with the Colts for a long time and who won't be traded or signed with a different team. Who's the best bet? Was thinking Houston or Leonard? Oh, no, I wouldn't go Houston. Long, long time? Yeah, I wouldn't go Houston. Uh, I'd go Nelson. I'd go Buckner. Or Leonard. Those would probably be the three. Yeah. I mean, long, yeah, long time. Yeah, I mean, Houston, yeah, he's looked like a guy that you'd bring back, but I mean, what, he turns 32 in January, I think. Yeah, Nelson, Leonard, Buckner. Little flavor there, got a variety there. What you want? Hit it up, Abby. Or maybe, uh, maybe buy a Rivers jersey just to support the store. We got that question <laughs> earlier. I don't know if the Colts Pro Shop is getting a whole lot of 17s off the rack. Yeah. So. Maybe Eason. Who knows? True. Okay, looking for a bounce back win this weekend, Kevin. Yeah. Bengals coming into town, like you said, Joe Burrow. Games on Fox. What are your three keys for the Colts to come out victorious? Yeah, you know, controlling Joe Mixon, number one. Um, he's an explosive runner. You know, got speed, got size as well. I think he's the one guy that really worries you. Your run defense has been outstanding, though, this season, so I think that gives you hope. But just to make sure this isn't a, a competitive game in the fourth quarter, you need Mixon to be quiet. Number two, get Hilton going, like I was talking about earlier. You know, it's 18 straight games without a 100-yard outing. And this isn't so much for, like, this is a massive key to win the football game. I I probably have one eye looking forward to the rest of the season, man. And, like, you really, really got to get him going. Um, you know, River says he'll be better this week. River's talking about himself. I think part of that is a breakout game for T.Y. And then, lastly, better rush discipline, pass rush discipline. Burrow can scramble. He's been sacked, like we said, a million times, and we prayed for him earlier. But you just – Darnold, I didn't – you know, Darnold escaped too much. Baker was made some boots and setting the edge and being disciplined in your rush lanes. I don't know if you go spy. I mean, that sounds crazy. But, I mean, Burrow can make some plays happen. So, yeah. um, two sacks, like I said, in the past 80 pass attempts these last two games. Got to have more. Got to have more. Okay. So – Leads us to the final question. What is your prediction for Sunday's outcome? Yeah, I am a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, I believe I saw. It's yep. come down a little bit from earlier in the week. I am taking the Indianapolis Colts 27-17. to 17. Okay. Uh, I get to 4-2 and two and get to the bye week. 
I like that number. I was thinking around the same. I'm going to go 24 to 13. Okay, 24-13. Um, yeah, a loss, DEFCON. We'll probably cancel the podcast, but <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I think they'll win. I think they'll control it. And uh, like we said earlier, this team has bounced back from bad losses. You know, Sunday doesn't equate to Jacksonville, like in that level of competition, but in many ways it was a bad loss just in how it transpired. So uh, it's needed. You, you've put With the, the loss to Cleveland, you've put your back against the wall and saying you got to have this one. And then you got to have Detroit come out of the bye. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. We'll be back Monday morning podcast. Uh, that might be our only one for the bye week. I don't know. Maybe we'll do another, but that probably will be our only one. And uh, yeah, if you guys have any questions, you know where to find me. He's Chris. I'm Kevin Bowen. Have a great week, everybody.